Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share it with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc. Today, we're happy to welcome Monique, co-founder of Pact VC, an early-stage tech fund backing mission-driven founders with global ambitions. They have over 40 years of experience building businesses in Asia, Middle East, and India, and a strong track record investing in them in the UK and Europe. PAC invests in seed stage companies under three themes, which they call their ABCs, access, betterment, and climate. If you enjoy our content, do support us by hitting the follow button, giving us a review, and following the European VC on LinkedIn. Monique, welcome to the European VC podcast. Super nice to have you here. Today, I'm going to ask a weird question to start. How okay. nice is Anne Hathaway? Is she a cool, a cool person to be around or not? I can't say I've been around her uh, much, but I hear she is an incredible person. Um, she's very sweet and yeah, really, really a very dedicated mother, actually. She's actually very, you know, I think to just, you know, um, back paddle a bit there. She's a good friend of one of your partners. So, and she I is. thought that when I saw that, that is, I respect that a lot because at face value, when you see, okay, this fund has, you know, some big celebrity, you're like, yeah, yeah, that's like some insignificant ticket. There's no relationship. It's whatever. Uh, and then, you know, it doesn't really impact that much. But when I then saw that you're actually close to each other, uh, you know, whether it's the one GP or the other GP, it doesn't matter. Right? But the fact that there's an actual relationship and it's rooted in something that 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 has value, yes. I love it. Um, I would I would have almost hated you for for having some celebrity <laughs> just because they're celebrity. So I'm happy that that, that was not the case. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to say I'm uh, two people removed from Anne Hathaway, so it's a, it's a good feeling. No, all jokes aside. Um, Reem is very close with Annie and her family. So it's a great relationship to have. And we're really lucky. Um, just on that point, talking of celebrities, Jeff Dean is an, is an incredible person in, in tech and Silicon Valley. So it's interesting to see what, what the kind of publications picked up and what they didn't pick up on. Uh, <laughs> I, so I, I don't know if Mike Butcher is, is listening into this podcast, but I would love to give him some shit for, for, for picking up the most cheesy headline that you could for the oh, launch no, of we... uh, one of Europe's best uh, best new funds uh, and then picking that part. I love that. <laughs> no, we, we can't complain. Mike did an incredible job. We were really happy with, with the press um, and you know we have received a lot of positive feedback from it. So yeah, we are very grateful and to he... Mike. And he just knows his readers, and I do as well. So for that reason, I had Anne Hathaway written all over my post as well. So <laughs> we're all suckers for, for likes. No, but on on a serious note, though, uh, Monique, I, uh, I I did that question in a provocative manner just because I think it was it was it was like an interesting kind of headline connected to your to your fund announcement. But let's let's go back to the standard model. You know, Monique, super nice to have you. Uh, really happy about that. And I always start the same way. I ask our guests to give us a quick rundown of how the hell did they end up in venture? How the hell did this fund, in this case, in this particular case, PACT, come to be? Give us give us an overview of everything. Yes. Yeah, so I've known Raymond Tong, my, other, my two partners, for many years now. So we got together really a couple of years ago. We were talking about just the idea of launching a fund and doing something differently. 
And, you know, we've got a long-standing relationship and a history. We've also been in venture for a while. We're also very different, different and complementary. Complementary from a skills perspective, but different from a background perspective. And we thought, you know, bringing this together can add genuine true value to the UK slash European ecosystem. So we got together with the intention of building something different. Um, and I'm aware everyone says this, so where it's the cliche line. But genuinely, when we look at the market, we like to see ourselves, you know, as complementary and, and, you know, bringing something that a fresh perspective. So I'm not sure if you're aware, but our backgrounds are all, you know, from various parts of the world, different cultures, different languages, different experiences. Um, you know, Reem's been, Reem was an angel investor from you know, 15 years ago out in the Middle East and Africa. You know, Tong has a really interesting background, uh, you know, computer science at Imperial, investment banking for a couple of years before she saw the... The, you know, before she moved over from the dark side to then going to launching and eventually exiting her business in China, coming back to the UK and joining VC. So, um, you know, Reem's extensive experience in the Middle East and, you know, my experience both in UK and Europe, but I've also spent a lot of time in, in Asia and Middle East as well. So we really wanted to bring these experiences and these fresh, fresh perspectives together as a team to launch, uh, you know, a unique fund. And how we really kind of position ourselves is really, we don't use the word diversity in the typical way it's again very aware that it is cliche but we always say our diversity in our, our thinking diversity in our backgrounds that's what we really utilize and that means you know when we invest at early stage we really think about how to bring these kind of this knowledge these networks this you know these experiences for the benefit of our founders so we're looking at kind of internationalization strategies understanding you know where can these kind of companies scale to? Have they thought about it? Have they not thought about it? And then really doing the deep dive pre and post investment, quite frankly. What's also interesting is we've brought in kind of these extensive networks we've built over many, many years as a kind of support system for the fund itself, but also benefits the portfolio companies and us as GPs. So this is, you know, having, um, you know, fintech uh, experts in the Middle East, both in the UAE, let's say Saudi Arabia, um, having, you know, technical expertise you know people building businesses in asia and so on so we thought you know this was quite fresh quite unique um you know we're you know a young team but we're very experienced been investing for you know 15 20 plus years so that's how we got together to launch pact really and kind of i haven't even delved into you know our personal you know whys and our passions but you know ultimately it's an alignment of our uh you know morals the way we work with founders the way we you know what we want to build and add to the ecosystem as well and that is that is i guess kind of a perfect kind of way to introduce another topic that we love asking everyone which is origin of the name pact you know pact can have two top of mind two different meanings if my english uh, doesn't trick me i'd love to hear why, why you chose that name what does it mean to you as a team and you individually as well and then kind of you know let's Try and make it kind of specific. How does that then impact the way you deal with uh, LPs, co-investors or founders, whatever makes most sense for you to share? Yeah. So we originally had a different name, which was the name of a place in London. Um, however, given the pandemic kind of came over, you know, we, we hit the pandemic, we had lockdowns and we were working remotely and we were like, well, that's kind of weird to be associated with a given place where we realistically probably won't end up being in that area post-pandemic. So we... <laughs> We're thinking about uh, what's a unique name, and I'm sure most of your guests have said it's really difficult to come up with a creative name, and we're not remotely creative people. Um, so we, we're looking up so many kind of names and domains, going from trees to streets to, 
you know, Arabic words, Turkish words, words in Mandarin. You know, someone um, who has a marketing background um, said, what about Pact? And we thought, well, wait, that actually has a lot of meaning because the reason we got together was, you know, we, we like to believe we have to kind of bring the human touch to venture. It's about making a pact with our founders, making a pact with our investors. And, you know, quite frankly, each other is, again, super, you know, might be cheesy, but I think it did put, put across our, our kind of, um, you know, our mission aligned kind of interests out to the market. So it was short. Um, we're not backed. You know, everyone says backed. No, no we're packed. And then in terms of um, the tie That's to another imp- one. <laughs> in terms of tying to impact as well, you know, kind of has a nice little play to it. That's how we came up with the name. Ah, that's cool. That's cool. And then let's get into that impact thing that you just said, because that gets us very well into the investment thesis slash investment themes. And you've got the ABC framework that, yes. <laughs> that I love. Uh, you say that you're not too creative and marketing oriented, but I think that that, that is <laughs> at least a much better <laughs> better approach of, of, of marketing your investment thesis than most firms do. <laughs> that's great. No, thank you so much. So um, in terms of what we invest in, our themes really center around three pillars. Um, these are access, betterment, and climate solutions. And what does this mean? It's it's quite broad when you think about the themes itself, but we're very particular about what we do and don't invest in. So access is really anything that democratizes access to products and services, particularly kind of sectors that fall under this, you know, will be financial inclusion or um, SME tools, essentially leveling the playing field. Betterment's mostly around, um, you know, looking at personal, professional well-being, which could be anything from education we're really interested in kind of upskilling workforces or talent, um, healthcare, obviously, um, and, you know, future of work is also another area we're looking into in the space. And then climate solutions is pretty self-explanatory, but mostly around kind of sustainability. We look at more software enabled as opposed to hardware enabled. Um, yeah, so those are our th- three themes. Um, what we're not, we wouldn't kind of be a typical, you know, people won't think, right, PACT's an impact fund. And I think it's intentional that we don't want to market ourselves as, you know, an impact fund, not because we're not, but it's mostly around the point of thinking beyond what impact means. So impact can mean something different to everyone. Everyone has a different interpretation of what impact means. But, you know, first and foremost, it's being, you know, mission aligned with the founders. What do these founders want to build? You know, what's the impact onto the stakeholders of the business that they're building? And also really understanding kind of, the business proposition overall. So, um, you know, it's not just the sake of, you know, we're doing AI tools as well as, you know, financial inclusion for diaspora communities. So, you know, it can range. So it's not kind of a typical impact fund per se, but, you know, we would like to think about these in slightly more deeper levels. And what is it, Monique, that, should I put it on, on a technology level or business model level that ties these together, What you know, if you were a pure impact fund, you could say, well, we've got a great brand and impact. We know everything about uh, the, you know, how climate change technology kind of works. So that's that's why we're focusing there. What is it that ties this together with your team and, and then your approach? Absolutely. So the team and approach and there's the tech angle of what you've asked, I believe. Yeah. So obviously we everything we invest in has to be tech enabled. So absolutely it will be um technology driven actually we do a lot of uh b2b we very rarely do consumer brands um mostly because i mean look reen has built a consumer brand we understand it but it's not really our core focus so 
how does it tie the team? So how do the themes tie the team together? I meant, I guess so. Um, it really does go back to our personal kind of interests and personal experiences. We've got a portfolio, combined portfolio in terms of angel previous funds and our current kind of team investments, 65 plus companies. And actually, when we took a kind of stock check of all of our companies in the portfolio and, and you know, in the businesses we've backed, generally the most successful ones, when I mean successful being either exits or, you know, two, three hundred million plus valuations that they've grown into. We've always been seed investors. So seeing them from pre-seed seed to, to that level. The ones that had an impact element were the most successful ones. This is including, you know, investing in Europe's largest EV subscription platform or, you know, investing in the largest education kind of textbook library in, in, in the world. Um, again, providing access to education, um, providing kind of uh, SME tools as well. So that was an exit, uh, a company that exited DocuSign. So it was really looking at our track record, looking at what drives us personally as investors and humans, quite frankly. And then tying this together to build a thesis around the fund. So actually, a lot of thought and a lot of trial and error went into really building and articulating the thesis, which I imagine most kind of early stage manager, uh, sorry, emerging managers will have kind of bringing all their experience together. So we were lucky enough that we've got a very you know extensive portfolio, extensive track record, many, many years in the industry and really tying that together and what kind of what we want to be known as. So that was really my point in terms of not being a pure impact fund because we want to normalize kind of impact investments, but having very commercial outcomes. You know, we're at the end day investors. Our job is to return money to our LPs. So we're focusing a lot on the commercial kind of scaling the commercials of an impact business as well. Now I'm going to ask a question and that's because I got your LP newsletter update today uh, or, or maybe yesterday. And it, it ended on uh, the happy note of, uh, the the fourth edition uh, to the, the 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 child family of of pack, <laughs> um, so I'd love to hear a bit about the you know I need to dive into that story of how you <laughs> managed to raise a fund with each one of you as partners having had a baby during your fundraise. I, I think that is probably a record. <laughs> um, and I'd love to hear you know we all know how tough it is to raise a fund, so so I can only imagine how that has been. Um, for you yeah I mean we try to be really open about our experience we try to normalize kind of talking about having children and essentially you know mums working and this is not something that we should be ashamed of which is why you know we do talk about it and we're 100% not the the first and won't be the last women that do this you know having a baby while raising a fund or launching a business but we just wanted to bring it kind of to the forefront of the industry, again, being very male dominated, you know, we have a lot of friends, women in the industry that are treated unfairly and, you know, not very equal to their male peers. So, again, just trying to normalize this conversation. So, yes, we had four babies within 22 months. Um, Tong and I had our baby four days apart. I always tell the funny story of Tong closing our anchor investor while in labor. And this is a true story. Um, we had to tell her to stop working and go to hospital and she may or may not have given birth a few hours later. So just goes to show how how close it was. So how do we do it? Honestly, it's a support system. So we have all sacrificed a lot. Again, very, you know, normal for emerging managers to, you know, this is a long process for setting up the first fund. We have incredible families. Tong's family moved over from China to help her with the baby. Reem's family, same from, you know, parents came from Lebanon to help out with the baby. I, uh, you know, 
sold my car, rented out my house, moved back into my mum's house to help with the baby. Uh, you know, you definitely need a support system. Um, was it easy? No, but we learned as we went along. And I think what's important is building the firm inclusive kind of from the ground up. So it's like enabling flexible working, but it's not just kind of, I want to work from home today. It's, you know, <laughs> managing around certain feeding hours and bedtime and and so on. And, you know, it, it, may, it might mean that we're working all hours of the two, but at the end of the day, we still have that understanding flexibility. And honestly, I think that whole, pro, you know, experience brought us closer together. Um, it's a very obviously personal uh, yeah. thing that happens to, to a woman and having your kind of colleagues as a tongue and I would try to coordinate. So they were born on the same day, but unfortunately they were born four days apart. So uh, you know, <laughs> here we are. Here we are. Now, I think, I think what you said there was so important because there are so many levels that I think for people who haven't been necessarily very closely involved with with having small children, either because they weren't because their spouse did the most of the work or 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 they were a bit maybe uh too far connected to, to that part of the process yeah. i think i think you know it's so easy to to think that 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 you have flexible work hours because you want to be there with the kids no you know when 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 you're the main caregiver it's about feeding hours it's about making everything just work you can't not be there so so yeah. i think it, what you've done is just absolutely amazing yeah, I forgot to mention our partners as well. Our husbands have been great. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they had a role to play in the whole thing. Um, no, look, they were great. They, again, I think it's long hours. It's, you know, time away from very young children and having, you know, supportive partners that understand and can step in. Um, again, I'm not saying anything new or anything kind of revolutionary, but, um, you know, the whole setting up a fund is a long and lonely process. When I say blood, sweat and tears, I genuinely mean blood sweat and tears um so you know you absolutely need a support system around you and we were lucky enough to have that so i think it's an amazing story i think you're an example to everyone um also to uh because i have spoken to you know angel women angel investors women that want to to raise a fund and then i'm thinking hmm, it's now a good time because they're thinking about you know family and everything so so i think it's so cool that you both did it and also that you're vocal about it and, and, and sharing your story here. I think that's amazing. Um, so maybe let's get into um, to a bit about the, you know, when this is going and this is exactly the life of, of a working mom, right? We just go from talking about this to me now asking you, could you tell me a bit about your portfolio model? Because we haven't dived into that at all. Uh, so tell me, how do you, how do you, because now we've heard the thesis, let's get into the strategy part. How many, you know, first, we didn't even talk about that. How big is the fund? How do you spread it between, you know, uh, uh, first, you know, initial tickets and follow-ons, different verticals, so on. How do you think about all of this? Absolutely, yeah. So it'll be a thirty million pound fund. Done our first close. I mentioned we will be deploying tickets between one to one point four million on entry. We will follow on up to Series A, um, as we have, you know, four percent of the fund reserve to follow on. Um, we invest predominantly at seed. We can invest at pre-seed. We will look at it more opportunistically given um, the ticket size. So if we do go in at pre-seed, it'll be with the intention of, you know, taking a bigger position in seed round. The fund itself will have targeting 18 to 20 portfolio companies in the fund itself. So that is about six deals a year. Um, and those are kind of the main areas. So, you know, we, we like to be very hands-on 
um, we go, you know, all in. We, we're very much kind of conviction-driven investors. I mean, a fund of our size, we do big tickets early, and that's intentional. That's just our model and the way we we've always worked with founders. And you know, we're very proud of that as well. So it's not a not a spray and pray. Not there's anything wrong with that either. I was actually I, think... I was about to to just double click on that one to one point five. Yeah, that are that is big tickets. Yes, again, it's very much kind of conviction, having conviction behind our investments and the companies we invest and we back. Because of our model of working with companies very hands-on early, specifically with the international angle, we intentionally, you know, have, we take, you know, we take big positions early with big tickets with the intention of working very closely with the teams in thinking about the next stage of their business. So if we were to do, you know, smaller tickets in many, many companies, um, that model necessarily wouldn't work. So it would actually yeah. impact our whole strategy and our whole thesis yeah. as well. Do you then, do you, do you de-risk more than you would normally say that 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 seed stage investors typically do before investing or afterwards by tranching the investments a bit more than most people would do? Uh, no, we don't. We don't, won't be tranching any investments. You mean um, in terms part of the due diligence process? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You yeah. know, some are a bit, a bit slower to get to the, to the final commit, but that's just being more thorough as well, right? And if you want to do a big ticket, well, then it's fair enough that you say it's not probably not going to be uh, a seven-day process. <laughs> yeah, it definitely won't be a seven-day process. I'm not going to lie and say it is a seven-day process. Um we're very, because it's partner driven, the deals are all, we source our investments, we make the decisions, you know, it's all done through us. The decision itself necessarily doesn't have to take long. But like you said, it's specifically in the kind of international aspect, what we look at, we do, when we speak with the founder, for example, if they've already identified a couple of markets that we know that we can go out and speak to our network in these markets and test really understand you know, are there any strategic partnerships we can support, um, you know, strategic investors, anything kind of that we know will add value to the to the business and the, the deal itself. So that part, I mean, honestly, I don't think we'd take any longer than, you know, a normal, you know, uh, let's say a smaller ticket investor will, but well, we are quite thorough. Um, but as I said, it's very collaborative with founders. We we haven't had anyone complain. So. I'd love to, I'd love to um, ask you two questions. I'm, I'm maybe going to ask them separately. So, I, 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 we were talking a while back about the, the kind of ABC approach, access, uh, betterment, betterment, and, and, and kind of climate framework, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, access and democratization are words that Andreas and I hear a lot, also in our own business, right? So I'd love, and I'm genuinely curious about this. I'd love to hear your thoughts around, you know, what does access, what does that democratization of goods and services mean to you? And kind of where you see interesting things, and when you where you see more kind of hype, and you know, not that interesting. It's just part of part of a bigger kind of kind of cycle of things. I'd love to hear your thinking around what is access for, for Pact. Yeah, I I'm really glad you asked that because actually, I I agree that democratizing specifically that word has been overused. Um, so I think access to us... Can, right now, I'm you know, so happy that we have veered a bit away from <laughs> using it too much in our communication. <laughs> it's yeah. actually being used more towards us than we use it to the market. So I'm, I'm well, happy to do that. But it's for the same yeah. reason. Well, you guys have built a great brand, so um, I'm sure it's not hasn't been detrimental. But I agree, it's been overused. So how we define access is really when we look at a a company 
or a product, it's saying, right, who are the beneficiaries of this? And what what is this company providing that isn't currently in the market or that's impacting their business, that's impacting their growth, for example? So um, a company we're investing in right now, which we haven't announced, their core technology they're targeting is, uh, is SMEs. So this essentially is a piece of technology that would typically require a large dev team, large kind of uh, engineering teams, but also a very kind of deep understanding of technology to implement such tools in the core business. So if you look at kind of you know companies with 10, 15 people, um, you know, you're not going to have a team to build AI tools or productivity tools. So obviously this whole low-code, no-code revolution, actually I'm quite interested, you know, we are all quite interested in that space. Um, interesting to see kind of especially with chat GPT as well, seeing what, what the impact of that's going to be. But so this piece of technology, this product is allowing companies to have access to technology that typically larger companies would have access to. Not only is it access to the technology, but it's also the impact that will have on the core business. So improving sales and marketing functions, for example, improving a lot of mundane things that can be automated to allow people to do more fulfilling you know, tasks and jobs and so on. So that for us is really access. So providing access to this technology for SMEs that will typically require large resources to implement. On the other side, we're looking at financial inclusion. You know, we're investing in a company right now which essentially provides access to financial products that are typically overlooked by traditional banks and so on. So that is a different type of access. That's a more kind of um, personal, you know, obviously one is B2B, one is, you know, essentially you know, B2C, but it's not kind of in a consumer brand per se. It's very much around kind of financial products for specific communities that don't have access to, to these services. So it'd be like savings tools, savings products, but also eventually they'll go into other financial products as well. So that's how we kind of essentially view, view access. Really think of it in a more broader sense um, rather than just at face value. Yeah, that's interesting because we hear access and democratization. At least that's my my own perspective. We, I see it a lot applied to kind of more consumer driven projects, ventures, whatever it is, right? And 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 you kind of started off by saying, well, more more B two B kind of crap. Uh, so that 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 was why I thought it would be a, would be a, a really interesting question. Another question I have for you is. I was going over the, um, the TechCrunch article where you guys basically announced uh, the first closing of the fund. Um, and there's, there's your first investment is disclosed there, Growth Kitchen, if I, if, I'm, if I remember correctly. I'd love to hear you talk a bit about that deal specifically and how it is aligned with Pact's worldview, basically, right? The ABC framework, so to speak. Yes, so Growth Kitchen was a deal we warehoused uh, a few months ago, hence why we'd announced it um, a few months ago as well from a PR perspective. Um, so Growth Kitchen, when the founders, Tom and Matthew, came to us, they had a vision of using data, using a lot of information that they built in terms of kind of gathering that data and using it to kind of dark kitchens, obviously, again, not a novel concept, but it's really using it to build dark kitchens in a different way. So they're very asset light. But what's more interesting and important for us, and quite frankly, this wasn't really at the forefront of their minds. It's something that we actually worked with them on implementing, building kind of sustainable practices within their kitchens. So it's really understanding the CO2 emissions of their kitchens, really understanding reducing food waste. It's really uh, packaging as well as fair practices and rights for the for the workers in the kitchens. So it's actually building a more sustainable brand around kind of in, within the food delivery industry, which isn't typically known for its sustainability. So. 
that's how we kind of came about. And, and honestly, that was an evolution. We worked together with the founders on that. And, you know, they've been very uh, receptive to it. They've built incredible practices. You know, we regularly track um, the data points that I mentioned earlier within the companies also. Very proud about them. How do you think about when you have this, you know, impact angle to your fund as well? How do you, how do you track metrics that, play on the impact angle and and how are you I, I don't know the regulation for for your fund but but are you obliged to to do that as well and 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 how how have you managed to get everything together there because that's something that most gps are if not struggling then at least working with these days yeah so we're not required by um, from a regulatory standpoint or within our lps to track this however it is part of our um, This is kind of a very important question because I think most managers will agree there isn't kind of a one-size-fits-all approach. We tried to have a one-size-fits-all approach and it didn't work because every company is kind of, um, you know, what they're targeting from an impact perspective is quite different. So, you know, we will start with, uh, you know, using Gross Kitchen as, as an example, search off with things like carbon emissions, kind of food waste. Um, that's a very specific, you know, that won't apply to our second business. The second business really looking at Um, you know, we will start uh, tracking, um, really understanding the impact of the 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 tech on the companies. When you look at things like hours, you know, cost saved, uh, reduction in in you know hours spent on, on on these tasks as well. So it really varies. You can also go into things at a deeper level within the organization itself. So understanding construction of the team, um, you know, the hiring practices, and so on. So it really varies, honestly, company by company. Um, at a firm level as well, we are tracking uh, things like our carbon emissions and our carbon footprint as well, um, and you know, figuring out a way of what's the best you know approach in terms of offsetting these as well. So, yeah, I mean, look, it's an evolution. We're working towards it as we kind of work with more and more companies. I think we will, you know, eventually become better at it. Um, ah, interesting. So, before we go to the quick fire round, I have one final question, which ties this a bit together with where we started which is you've got this impact angle as we just spoke about and i'm curious to hear how you see that um impacting your internal operations as well as as a fund and now you said you track your carbon emissions and that had me thinking well you are investing across the globe and you've got an african investment how do you work with your portfolio of founders do do you see that that you you want to be close to them in person quite often or or not Yeah. So just to be clear, we will invest predominantly in the UK and yeah. Europe. So we are not, especially for Fund One, necessarily investing kind of globally. Um, we are very conscious, for example, of the events we go to if we need to travel to yeah. them. Um, so you know, we're absolutely you know taking this into account when it comes to building our own firm. There are certain things again around uh, what we implement with founders. For example, we have our one percent pledge. So every time we invest, we add one percent additional capital on top completely non-dilutive it goes towards founders or the management team um, they can use it however they like but it has to go something towards their kind of well-being and their development whether it's you know they oh, need cool. counseling whether they need exec coaching we're very open about that we have things like mandatory two-week uh, annual leave for founders that we force them to take um again that's you know kind of uh, implementing what we have in our own firm to the founders we work with and the companies we work with so As I said, it's something that, that we're evolving as we go along, but absolutely, I mean, you know, we're trying to be more conscious of, of everything we do and, and the type of firm we build. And, you know, looking at maternity, paternity policies, for example, 
uh, flexible working and understanding, you know, how best to use tools and technology to build, whether they need to build remote teams, reduce the need to, you know, fly constantly to, you know, more than one geography and so on. Yeah. Ah, super interesting. Another final question. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> because, because you, you just. I'm not going to lie. I was these are very serious questions. I was expecting. <laughs> we, always, we always try tend to, to 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 jump into some rabbit hole, and then we can't figure out how to get up from it. So so we'll just keep diving. Um, and this one does a bit the same because now you now you said that that um, that you care about the maternity and paternity leave. Uh, um, you know, thinking inside the firms or the, the companies that you invest in, and and that had me then thinking about. If, you know, one of the, the guys that we often have on our podcast, which is on the lowdown every Friday, and that's Dan Bauer. And he said, well, well he would that. love to invest in more women founders, but he's not seeing that deal flow. And then I thought, hmm, I wonder if, if you as Pat are seeing more uh, women founders um, than your peers. Yes, it's really interesting. Dan is one of my favorite people in the industry. So, um, hi, Dan. Anyway, so <laughs> In my previous role at um, another fund that I, I launched, I was there for about three years. Honestly, I probably saw two, three women pitch or present to us. And I was always wondering why, why is this the case? You know, we're trying to be a bit more open and be a bit more out there and, you know, be more approachable. But quite interesting, actually, having three women from ethnic minority backgrounds, mm -hmm. the deal flow is completely different. Yeah. Um, a lot more women, of course, a lot more uh, different. So, so we we did seven investments while we were fundraising as a team. So we invested um, either as angels or did SPVs, and you know, fifty percent of those investments were women founders, seventy percent were immigrant founders. Yes, it's a very kind of small <laughs> pool of data, but even if you look at our wider track record, wider portfolio, absolutely, it's it's completely different. And I think I have, my theory is. It's because being women and, you know, again, nothing new or innovative here, but I guess it's being more approachable. The fact that women are more comfortable around other women and, you know, that might be people might disagree with that. But actually, I mean, if I was a, a female or, or a woman founder and, you know, I look, will look at funds or investors that are aligned with, with what I'm building or with my kind of um, vision. So I think it's being approachable. I think it's connecting with um, we, we're very as I mentioned earlier, it's very the human touch. It's understanding founders, for example. We met a founder last year. We did an angel ticket in this founder, a very small ticket, but we spent the first kind of 20, 30 minutes talking about her family's background. She was from Zimbabwe, talking about our immigrant backgrounds. You know, I, you know, we're all immigrants ourselves, and it's really understanding, but it's not making kind of a whole marketing ploy out of this. Like, you know, yeah. I'm an immigrant, so I only invest in immigrant founders. It's like you will connect with these people regardless, right? If you meet a founder yeah. who you share kind of cultural, uh, you know, background or understanding or, you know, you have similar upbringing stories. Like I grew up in a council estate in North London. And I think that adds a different kind of um, level of kind of connecting with founders who maybe have come from similar backgrounds. You know, Reem grew up between the UAE and the US. Again, that's a different yeah. perspective. Tom grew up in, you know, communist China, a very different perspective. <laughs> so I think that's the diversity we like to talk about. It's really using that to connect with relevant people. And it's not to say, you know, you know, we only invest in the women. We don't reinvest in the best founders regardless of their background or their gender. So yeah. um, I think it's a massive advantage to us, quite frankly. 
having that richness of our backgrounds and our experience to connect with with specific founders. I would venture to say that I absolutely agree. Um, that's that's incredibly exciting and, and interesting to see. I would then ask one question: What if we flip that to the LP side? Um, have you also seen a better uptake with with um, let's call it LPs with a different background as well? Majority of our LPs are internationally based. So our anchor LP is based in the UK, but they also have an incredible kind of rich cultural background and history. Um, so I think I would like to see more women LPs, quite frankly. We don't see yeah. them enough. We don't present to enough women LPs. So, you know, I think that will change as women obviously build more wealth or take uh, you know, more decision-making roles at the on the LP side as well. So, no, I don't think we've, we've seen enough kind of diverse LPs to be honest, but we have interesting LPs, as I mentioned, um, you know, we have a South American LP who we've known for a while. He's built businesses all over the world. Again, we resonated with our whole international angle. We have LPs from the US, from the Middle East, you know, for obvious reasons. So it's a bit of a mix, but I personally don't think it's enough, enough women or different types of LPs. Monique, time to move into the final section of our episodes which is the quick fire round when we ask quick answer questions 30 to 60 seconds each are you ready yes let's do it first question what areas sectors or te technologies excite you the most that other people around you don't really feel that excited about i'm really excited about the low-code no-code revolution i think ai especially given the kind of recent revelations with chat gpt or um you know that whole industry itself um is super interesting how that can be used in areas such as education, whether it's future of work. I'm really interested in upskilling workforces. I think we're going to have a massive issue of uh, not only redundancies and the recession that's kind of happening now, but, you know, skills are changing, uh, industries are changing, and it's really companies need to adapt to that. So I think that's a huge kind of commercial opportunity. Second question of the quick fire. What are your top tips for emerging VCs who are out there fundraising right now? Make sure you have enough personal runway, at least 24 months, to launch a fund. Um, it's not easy. And also make sure if you do have a partner, have that chat with them to say, this shit is going to be hard and I need you to support me. We may have to sell our car. We may have to sell our house um, and prepare for them. And, you know, don't be afraid of starting a family if you do want to launch a fund as well. I think if you have the means, if you have the support, which is a luxury, I'm aware, um, you know, just go for it and start investing. Build your track record, build your track record as a team, as an individuals, you know, deploy any money through EUVC or through other platforms um, just to build that track record. I think that's hugely important. That will also enable managers to test their thesis, test their processes. And, you know, there's nothing better than actually doing it in real life. I love that. Third and final question of the quickfire round. What has been your most counterintuitive learning since you've embarked on the PACT journey? I think team dynamics, um, building a fund, I imagine it's not too different to building kind of a startup or a company. It's really understanding how the team skills can complement each other, how to work around people's strengths and, you know, and their weaknesses. So that to me was, um, I hope, you know, I'm speaking on behalf of my, my partners as well, uh, kind of an interesting learning experience for us. And honestly, I can't imagine doing this with anyone else. So my partners have been incredible. I think we are an incredibly strong team only because we've tested things, we've talked openly about it. So that has been, you know, was a surprise, but also a very kind of 
happy with where we've landed and how we operate. Monique, thanks a million for joining us. We loved it as I am sure our audience could hear. Uh, we are big fans of the PAC team and everything you've built so far, and we look forward to joining you on your journey. Thank you so much Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of The European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share it with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc.